Welcome back on the MIC. Moms, I'm really excited today. We have the phenomenal Asil El Baba. Thank you for having me. Financial therapist, yeah. life changer. <laughs> I'm sure you've changed many lives. Oh, that's so like beautiful to experience the the honor of doing that. Yeah. yeah, because you're not just helping people to get better with money. You're helping them understand themselves. Well, money's connected to so many areas of our lives, like our identity, our self-worth, our relationship with ourself and the world. So while you may think you're coming to talk to me about money, naturally, every area of life surfaces. Mm. So that's why it is a life-changing... Um, that's my son in the background, yeah. by the way, if you hear him. Uh, it is a, a life-changing modality because it gives us access to all these topics from yes. an angle that is the least talked about, which is money. Mm. A lot of my teachers, when I told them I want to like specialize in financial therapy and, and, and really uh, have that as a part of my practice, they said that over their experience, people are willing to admit their weirdest sexual fantasies and the weirdest craziest stories but when it comes to money that's where they draw the line oh wow it's harder to talk about money than it is to talk about any other topic and, really and it's crazy why that is like this is why i'm here to uh, create a space and normalize talking about money. yeah that's wild to me because i would much rather talk about money than sex really <laughs> Hundred percent. Okay, well, you are one in a million. I'll tell I don't you know that. what what trauma I have attached to to it to sex. Why I would rather talk about money, yeah. but like literally, I would rather talk about money. But then I can understand why it's hard for people to discuss. I guess there's shame attached to not having a lot of it. Well, there's different things. Even those who have a lot of it still have a hard time talking about it. So it's not necessarily um, like one socioeconomical group struggles with certain things more than other. It's Overall, regardless where you fall on the net worth or income um, stream, there's different challenges for different categories, different groups, yeah. right? So um, overall, though, um, it, it's definitely a topic that's challenging, regardless why. Yeah. Um, and financial therapy is a, a modality that helps clients address the way they think, feel, behave, and communicate with money. So it's like a holistic approach mm. because when you think about money... Normally, people grab, think or um, imagine that you're working on like a budget or debt management or investment strategies. And these are all like the practical parts of it. And this is what there's a lot of professionals doing. But there's a lack of professionals who also address the other side of it, which is the emotional wellness. Yes. Because it's the emotional with the financial wellness that leads to an overall financial well-being. Mm. Okay, so let's backtrack a little bit. How did you get into financial therapy? How did you even Ooh. find out that this was a thing? Oh, that's a great question. I, okay, so I uh, came to Canada with a single mom um, at the age of 16, and I just fast-tracked my way through university in order to start working. I mean, I was working through university as well as, as a survival. Um, but my earliest, like my, my first job was at a bank, when I was turning 20, I started working in the bank. And at the age of 23, I became a financial advisor. Mm. And I, I struggled so much with that title because, you know, with a single mom, we had to rely on welfare and the housing system. And I really needed to establish roots in this new country where we had nobody. Yeah. And I came from a war, war zone as well. So there was a lot of volatility and constantly attached to the environments I grew up around. Mm. Um, so when I became a financial advisor... I had like a really weird uh, imposter syndrome, but also like 
a lot of anxiety walking into work every day, thinking about or feeling like a fraud. Like, how yeah. is it that I get to be in this position where I'm now advising people about money? But I've always also enjoyed um, careers like life coaching. And, and like, I've always been told that I'm somebody who um, people find it easy to open up to. Oh. Uh, but but I realized that my clients would come and start talk, talking to me about their lives. And naturally, when you come to talk about money with a banker, it's usually because there's a transition happening in yeah. your life. Yeah. Uh, you're getting married, you're getting divorced, you're having a child, you're switching a career, you're retiring, you're starting a job, whatever the case may be. There's different transitions in life. And naturally, at every um, corner... The, the topic of money like surfaces as a result of that transition. Yes. And it's something that we need to navigate. So I found that my clients naturally started talking to me about all these different life things they're going through, all these emotional uh, things they needed support in navigating. And I felt, and I kept st- uh, feeling inadequate to support them through these transitions yeah. from an emotional perspective. Cause I had all the logical tools. I was trained as a financial advisor to know on, you know, how to create a cash flow strategy or debt management or how to support you in, you know, knowing what to invest in for your future, uh, how to create a financial plan. But I couldn't support you um, in, in at least in adequately in your emotional um you know, and psychological uh, responses as a result of these conversations. Yeah. So I eventually, uh, and I personally was struggling in that in my life. So the first thing I did is started taking myself in as a client and said, okay, if I need to be uh, a proper guidance, if I need to um, walk the walk and talk the talk, I want to start implementing uh, these things in my life. So I started reading different books about money, but not the typical investment and practical tools around it. I started looking at books like The Art of Money, mm-hmm. The Soul of Money, The Energy of Money, like all these different um, alternatives, alternative angles that we don't necessarily associate with money. And that gave me such a, a like a, I don't know how to say it, like a breakthrough. Yeah. Like there's so much more to this topic that that meets the eye within a bank corporate world um and i set my goal to be a homeowner by before i turned 30 so i actually achieved that goal by 28 and i bought my first condo uh in downtown toronto and that helped me feel that i'm starting to rewrite my money story yes. somebody who you know grew up in the circumstances i did couldn't have fathomed that this goal could be attainable for me. Mm. But but as a result of th- that, I said, okay, I also want to uh, add these proper tools in my toolbox and get proper education and training to also help my clients in their emotional well-being. So I went back to school to become a psychotherapist. Wow. And a few years into my training, it's a five-year training program, uh, I actually recognized there is a financial therapy association in the U.S. Oh. That started in 2008 as a result of the market crash. Oh, and that's where okay. there is, there's about 300 of us, m- more than 90% of financial therapists right now are in the U.S., few in Canada and few are scattered across other areas in the world. But what's cool about this is that there is now definitely a recognition about the intersection of financial health and mental health. 
And and I think the 2008 market crash awoke people to that reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just realized that my son rolled for the first time. Oh, he's... Uh, well, this is the the life of moms in control. That's amazing. <laughs> We're recording this podcast, and my son is just in the left here. Oh my god, that's so amazing! <laughs> I, I, he I'm did. Like, yeah, I'm he's like, trying to crawl. I don't know what he's trying to do, but he's, I, he's I'm aware that months. he's very close to this camera oh. over here. That's Just, okay. Uh, this is the life of a mother. We want to keep it, this podcast as real as possible, I suppose. Oh, yeah, let's move him because we don't want it to fall on him. Yeah, so just give me a second. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> oh, wow. Well done, Aiden. <laughs> Congratulations Yay. on your milestone. That is amazing. Aww. Keeping it real. That is, that's that's heartwarming to me because Aww. that is what this is all like, this whole thing. This is a recorded moment. I, I can't know. believe it. And you kind of recorded I'm your reaction. Cry. Your reactions on. And it's like, wow, you're in action, doing your thing, talking about financial therapy. And then your son, you look over and he just rolls over. Can I just insert something here? I I, I feel like I grew up around financial therapy, like I said, is a lot about healing a lot of the stories that we hold that no longer serve us. And a big part of it is the role we play in society, the career or the roles we play at our home and and our families, whatever. And and I grew up uh, with this uh, um, almost... A, a paradigm that taught me or tried to reinforce that I that my role as a mother is always more important than whatever career path I choose for this myself, right? And 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 I totally believe that, but there was shaming to almost um, make a woman feel that she shouldn't have big ambitions or big dreams because her role as a mother is so important and. And that, that for me is a scarcity mindset because it's an either or equation. Mm. As in like you're either a great mother or you're a great career woman. And naturally, because of the capitalistic societies that we live in, um, you know, in, in modern society, a lot of that can be true because mm. if you are working 10, 12 hour days at your office, it's hard to imagine how you can be present with your kids and 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 be very involved in their uh, bringing. But I feel like I'm, I'm I a lot of us actually are redefining the way we work and yeah. redefining the way we show up without compromising on our dreams and exactly. the impact we have in this world. And that is financial therapy. So financial therapy isn't just about how much money I have in the bank and and how I can you know manage that money, but it's about how do I show up in the world. And for me navigating now my new role as a mother while I also have this big dream and big vision and big mission uh, that I want to bring into the world, the value I want to create uh, is part of my healing. It's part of reconciling these identities yes. and creating a new path forward. Yes. And changing this thought that we have to <laughs> defer our, our desires to become mothers yeah. or have families in order to excel in our oh, careers. Yeah. I have such a desire to bring my son along the journey I'm on and mm-hmm. not necessarily to separate, uh, like, like there are times, obviously I'm, I'm an, I'm a psychotherapist. There's a client session. Obviously my kids cannot be anywhere near that. Session. Yeah. <laughs> so there's times where I obviously have to separate my work this entirely, but the, I'm always going to invite opportunities where I can bring my son along. Yes. Like, like this, like he's literally coming along the journey. So today I really want to just talk about not just financial therapy, but how that relates to mothers and 
why moms really need to tap into this conversation. So first, can you share with us what is financial therapy and how did you even come across it? Great question. So I uh, came to Canada at the age of 16 with a single mother and we needed to rely on welfare and the housing system to establish our roots here in Canada because we didn't have anybody and we came from a war zone and we're just looking forward to starting a fresh life. Um, but around the age of 20, I started my first job in the bank. And by the age of 23, I was a financial advisor. And I struggled so much with that title. I felt like an imposter, like a fraud, walking into the bank to advise other clients on their money, mm. knowing the financial struggles I came from. Um, so I had a really hard time with that title in general. But I made it a point to... Um, to establish a new financial path for myself, uh, to heal from the traumas that I came from. And I started reading different uh, books around money, not just tackling the practical parts of it, but also looking at some of the uh, unique aspects of the different angles, like the energy of money, the soul of money, the art of money. Mm. And I started really widening my lens on what this topic can be and how connected it is to all the other areas in our life so that plus the fact that my clients started to open up about all sorts of areas in their lives when they came to talk about money with me such as their divorce or their marriage or life transitions death birth um, career change all sorts of different things I started to realize that this topic is so vast and yet as a financial advisor, I was limited in my training on the angles I can tackle this topic yeah. through, but also like the tools I had were were just the tools of reason and the tools of logic. And yet, this topic is actually very emotional and and far from logical in the way we actually um, deal with it in our lives. So I decided to go back to school and become a psychotherapist. Actually, I started hearing from many clients that I'm their therapist because they <laughs> yeah. started to talk to me about their lives naturally. And um, I pivoted into the world of financial therapy, ironically, in March 2020. And that coincided and aligned with the global pandemic. Uh, but I was adamant to create this new space to explore and heal our relationship with money. But through uh, a few years into my psychotherapy training, I realized there's actually a financial therapy association that already started in the U.S. after 2008 market crash. And I think that's a result of people recognizing the importance mm. of the, this interdisciplinary, interdisciplinary approach, but recognizing that financial health and mental health intersect. And it's important to address both in order to experience financial well-being and, and have that holistic um, wealth experience where numbers and emotions uh, are aligned. Yeah. You know, our emotional and financial well-being are both important mm -hmm. for us to truly experience um, wealth and abundance, mm -hmm. if you will. So that's how I came up about it. And I started my practice in March 2020, and it's not been a linear journey. It's not like I started my practice and that's it. I'm a financial therapist. I've had to do complementary jobs along the way. Mm -hmm. And now we're 2023. I became a beautiful, um, no, I became a beautiful mom. I said, yeah, you did. I became a mom to a beautiful boy. But so. she became a beautiful mom. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I became a mother to a beautiful boy uh, in October 2022. And I thought about how can I now bring this new role into the practice that I want to build and, and grow? 
So my vision moving forward is to dedicate a part of my practice into helping mothers heal their own relationship with money so they can raise a conscious generation. Yes. And in the future, I see myself creating a two-tiered approach. The first is focused on the mother and giving all the tools and resources for mothers to heal their relationship with money. I love that. And the second tier is also uh, creating resources for them to raise conscientious generations, be it uh, creating... um, books or toys or or different um, resources to also help translate this knowledge to to kids from early, early ages. Mm. And that's my vision. I love that. And so when, okay, so talking about mothers um, specifically, what kind of things or what kind of issues do you find common amongst moms when it comes to money? That's a great question. And I think it varies based on what stage this mother's in. Like okay. if, if she's a new mother versus if, if it's a mother uh, raising, uh, you know, kids under five versus teenagers. Like there's different things that come up at different stages. So for example, from my own experience and also the experience of the friends I've developed around me who are new mothers, a lot of the things that came up prior to even giving birth is this whole idea that we're going to go on maternity leave and having that conversation with your partner so you can uh, re-strategize your financial goals, your financial responsibilities, who's doing what, and examining some of the beliefs or some of the emotions that surf up, surf, uh, surface as a result of this transition. It's a huge milestone in any woman's life mm-hmm. to become a mother. Uh, so there's already a lot of emotions happening, and a lot of it is can, can be hard to dissect because of how uh, tangled it is with this um, new responsibility of becoming a mother. Uh, So it's important to make space for that and discuss these things openly with your partner. I actually have different uh, conflict resolution frameworks and different conversation frameworks that I teach my clients to support this conversation with with partners. Uh, But one of the most um, quick tips I would give in, in this is to plan and schedule these conversations in advance mm. versus have them on the whim because yes. it's, they can be very emotional. Uh, but if you come prepared and you're scheduled that time in both your calendars, then at least you're setting the intention and setting the stage right. That is such a good tip. <laughs> that is a game changer because I find conversations like this usually come up... Abruptly. And it could be explosive. Yes. Like it could just be like a moment of rage and then it's just an argument whereas if you say to yourself no we're not going to argue about this I'm going to intentionally carve out time to talk about division of labor how we're going to split the money and all of that stuff rather Mm -hmm. than us just one day you're not you're not contributing enough like (laughs) well this is how we like this is one very little thing but it makes a big difference in how we approach our our relationship with money in general yes money and a lot of people's life is something they react to. So they react when a bill comes. They react to their debt compiling. They react to X, Y, and Z versus what I teach is being proactive mm. and being intentional and actually uh, being in the driver's seat oh, versus God, yeah. just the passenger seat feeling like you're not in control of your money. So there's little shifts that you can do, but obviously scheduling 
conversations around it is very important with your partner and other relationships in your life. Yeah. But you're focused on the transition into motherhood. So it starts there. It starts even before your baby is here. Yes. About having these conversations with your partner. Another area is having these conversations at work. So it could be with your uh, boss or colleagues or if you're an entrepreneur, uh, starting to strategically think about this transition. And that's another area that's also very anxious for a lot of women. Um Unfortunately, our biological clock and our career clocks are almost against Ooh. each other. So uh, women naturally start wanting to grow their families between, let's say, traditionally the age of 25 to 40, let's say. But that's also the time frame they're using to yeah. invest and grow their careers yeah, um, and make big, big milestones in their careers. So it's almost conflicting. And, and that causes a lot of anxiety and stress for a lot of women who make family decisions around their career or career decisions around their family. But knowing how to navigate both roles, especially if, if both um, showing up for both is important for you, like it is for me, um, then it's another area that this conversation starts up because work is your earning potential. Yeah. It's your life's mission or purpose or, you know, it's different. Work can be different for different people depending on what it is they they're doing and why they're doing it. But I like to show up to my work um, like the val. It's it's a value creation. I want to show up creating value to the world every day. And actually, that's one of the things I use to heal my relationship with money is to start seeing money as a as a product of value creation. Yeah. So so it it helps uh, it helps ease the discomfort I had around it growing up because it was not necessarily portrayed positively if you wanted or seeked money yeah uh, in the family i grew up in <laughs> yeah uh, so now I, I i obviously have to shift how, how i look at it and, and that's part of that so that's another area and then when your baby is here there's a whole different transitions that women go through and mothers go through first um you know how to budget for this new family member but i also find that a lot of mothers find it so easy to justify spending decisions on their kids oh that's me yeah while <laughs> depriving themselves in the process mm -hmm. and i've had so many women say i don't even blink an eye when it comes to buying something for my kids and yet i feel a lot of guilt or shame or fear spending money on myself mm. and this is really toxic and it leads to built up resentment even though it's very subconscious but you're constantly feeling that you know the kids are taking away um, certain things I need for myself yeah. or taking up resources that I can't afford or whatever the case may be. So it's very important to create uh, an intentional budget and, and infuse your values in your spending, but also be mindful that you're taking care of yourself along the way. And it's not an either or process. It's not that I either spend money on my kids or I spend money on myself. Like this is a very much a scarcity mindset. And yeah. A lot of part of our healing is to start embracing the end. How can I do both? How can I make space for both? Mm. Um, how can I meet my needs while also ensuring obviously my kids needs are met but that's another area it starts showing up is when you need to uh, get creative and how to manage the household budget with these new family members another area it shows up is sometimes the crash of values between you and your partner for example oh, yeah. uh, how much money you want to spend on 
you know, your family, how you want to raise your kids around money. Do you want to, let's say, have them focus only on their school and you pay all their bills versus maybe someone else feels that it's important for them to start learning how to make their own money, at least to spend on their own um, outings or, or whatnot. So there's such conflicting views on this, obviously, the, 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 the spectrum is wide. And that's another area that also surfaces when you clash views on with your partner on how to raise your kids. Yeah. Um, so, so there's so many angles to this, like that, like we can sit here for hours and I can give you a million examples on how this shows up for mothers, Mm. right. And, and how, you know, hard and challenging to be at different milestones in our journey of, of being mothers, which is why my role and, and my vision now is, is being a new mother myself. I do want to dedicate a part of my practice to empower mothers with, with these tools and resources to help them navigate these these transitions and yeah help them make empowered intentional decisions around it because i've i find just having this podcast and hearing some of the things that i hear other mothers talking about and struggling with an issue for women and not even just from the podcast i see this in in real life too one issue that i find mothers and women have a lot is the issue of a lack of transparency from their partners about money Mm -hmm. and not even just their partners. I know that there are women in marriages and in relationships with men who are not very honest about how much money they make. You know, that's called financial infidelity. Right. And I was on your page and I saw that you was talking about this and I was like, I really need to understand (laughs) this more. And also does that count for if the, if the couple are not together um, say you're co-parenting with somebody and you know they're supposed to contribute financially each month to the maintenance of the child, but they're not very honest about how much they earn. Does that count? Is that a thing too? hundred percent. Financial infidelity essentially is when there's lack of, um, not necessarily lack of, but um, God, I'm blanking. Mother fog, a brain fog is a thing. It's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> my, my, my son is five months old and I haven't slept in five months. Mm-hmm. So I left half of my brain like, in the delivery room. I know room. what I want to say and like my the word is not even coming to me. But now I got it. I, I, I put myself together again and we're keeping it real. So financial infidelity essentially is a breach of trust. The, the word breach is what I mm. forgot <laughs> a minute ago. But a breach of trust. So essentially it's when you and I have a... Uh, agreement of how we manage our household and our finances, how to share it, and one of us is breaching that. So it's not mm. necessarily about showing and and joining all your accounts and showing all your documents or your assets and liabilities. It's not necessarily that because that may not be the agreement between us. Yeah. So I have clients who intentionally keep their accounts separate. And that's the agreement between them. And they you know they don't need to share everything. Uh, but then when there's certain things they agreed on, the breach of trust on that agreed upon set of rules between them, that's financial infidelity. Mm. You go out of your way to hide um, certain things. You buy something new and you say it's actually something you've owned for a while and you you didn't really recently buy it. So the spectrum of financial infidelity is, is also wide. It could be as serious as you have major debts that you're, partner doesn't know a thing about oh my god um it could be as simple as you have a bonus at work and you don't tell your partner about it um so there's a whole bunch of examples again in how financial infidelity can surface in a relationship 
Uh, but essentially, it, it, it eats out. It, it, like infidelity, even if it's financial, just like a sexual infidelity, can can be detrimental to a relationship. Mm. It's, it, it hurts. It's betrayal. Yeah. And it's like, what do you do? What do you do about that? How do you advise someone to handle a situation like that? How can mm. they, I guess, protect themselves mm-hmm. from this? Or what's the solution? What's the way out? So just like anything, the... Uh, depends on the severity of the case to begin with but usually financial infidelity is, is coupled with other dysfunctional behaviors it's not a standalone behavior usually there's other warning signs too sometimes there's financial abuse that comes with that oh my god um, yeah and that's a big one too where one person feels the need to be in control and deprive the other persons of any power or decisions around finances um, I've seen household even where, um, let's say, the woman has to give her husband her earnings huh? uh, and he decides how to allocate it. Oh, my God. Yeah, there's different types of financial abuse and financial control, essentially. Um, there's also sometimes, um, you know, along with financial infidelity, there's a whole host of financial avoidance. That's very, very interesting. And it's like eye-opening too because I I find that that's something that women struggle with a lot, a lot. And it's like that can lead to so many other issues, but there's no fault of your own, which Mm -hmm. is the sad part. But to go back to your actual question about what you can do about it, first assess the severity of the situation. Mm. What are we dealing with here? Um, and, and, And... also bring awareness to your own dysfunctional beliefs and behaviors because chances are you're also co-creating this uh, environment that you're in Mm. sometimes you're enabling it Um, sometimes you may be uh, avoiding it because of how uncomfortable it is and 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 therefore it's you know worsening with time so there's different things to consider here but uh if i was to if i'm to break it down to a few things first Assess the severity of the situation. Second, bring awareness to your role in it. What what are the things you're contributing to? What are the dysfunctional uh, emotions, thoughts, and beliefs that you are engaged with? Um, third, maybe uh, engage with professional. It could be a team of professionals because you need certain members for the practical parts, like helping you with your debt management, putting a plan yep. for the future and knowing how much to invest and, and putting investment strategies in place. So having financial advisors and a team of, of professionals there, but sometimes it's also family therapists or counselors or social workers. Like it depends on what we're dealing with here. Like I said, it's a variety of, of things that surface. So also having maybe counseling sessions to work on rebuilding the relationship itself and the trust and, and putting a plan to move forward with. And it takes two to tangle. So it has to be that both of you are acknowledging that something is broken yeah. and, and you are committed to putting your hands together and figuring out a plan to make it work. Mm. Um, but it's very important that as part of this work is to look inwards and also um, understand what we're bringing to the table yeah because chances are we all have our money traumas and we've all contributed to whatever dysfunctional situation is happening yeah and i think it's important as well that we don't pass our money traumas onto our kids oh huge this is why my vision is to really dedicate a part of my practice to mothers and resources for their kids Mm. because that's a big thing for me is 
trying to understand and think about how can I now raise my child conscientiously? At what age do I start talking to them about money? Because a, a big fault of parents sometimes is sharing too much uh, with kids at a, such a young age. Ooh, yes. Yeah. So you want to know there's a balance. How much to share, what to share, at what age to share it. Um, and there's different things to consider from your parenting style to what kind of child we're dealing with here. There's different personality, personalities. Different kids respond differently to information. But I, I personally have uh, dealt with clients who whose parents gave them so much responsibility early on mm. and shared so much about the finan- financial stress. Um, and that obviously stressed the kid so much more than it needed to. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot uh, around that. Like that's emotional and financial enmeshment mm. is, is the terminology for it. Okay. I always try to be very careful about the language I use when I'm speaking to my daughter about money. Yeah, I think one time we were shopping and she saw a dress that she liked. And she asked me for it and I said no. And then she said, do we not have enough money? And that... W- upset me a little bit because I was thinking who taught you about like where do you hear that from or where did you learn that and I didn't want her to think I I don't know I just that troubled me that response troubled me and I just kind of just said to her no it's not that we don't have enough money it's that you have enough dresses like (laughs) you've got dresses and you don't really need any more but maybe when one of your dresses breaks or when it gets too old or when it doesn't fit anymore we can get some more and I'm just I'm now mindful of like how I communicate to her Yes. how I communicate these things to her because I didn't want her I just was worried like where did you learn that I, I love that you bring <laughs> real life examples to it but it's also important not just to be mindful of what you say to them but be mindful of how you talk about money in general mm. even if you're talking about it with your husband because they can they hear, hear yeah or also the the type of conversations you have with your friends around them or even the type of uh, information they they observe from news from youtube from wherever i i don't even know what social media they're my my son's going to be exposed to by the time he's ready for it because it keeps changing right <laughs> um so so there's a lot to be and, and it's scary because the amount of information out there right now especially on social media and stuff is, is vast so i haven't i have a interesting question wonder i'm just wondering why money is such a triggering subject and what are some things that could cause people to feel so like Mm -hmm. ruffled by it Mm -hmm. um i feel like money and the complexity or the vastness of the topic itself is so intertwined with so many areas of our lives like our identity the way we shop in the world our values and because we as humans don't always see eye and eye on things how we live our lifestyles that's why there's a lot of conflict and as well in how we um, perceive how we should be making money how we should be spending money so there's disagreements on on that and some of these disagreements are controversial mm. for example uh, a lot of cultures um, especially cultures that have let's say religious views uh, have sometimes a hard time embracing a lot of wealth because it's perceived to be uh, corrupt or unethical or not religious or godly Mm. to be somebody who seeks wealth and there's so many uh, sayings in biblical um, cultures or cultures who grew up in in islamic uh, traditions or 
spirituality like Buddha and Hinduism that there's specific things that people actually say that almost contradicts uh, the path of wealth like um, one of the ones that come to my mind for example is it's easier like this is not this is paraphrasing but it's easier for a man sorry it's easier for a camel to go through the needle uh, mm. that needle that you use yeah. for sewing the eye of a needle the eye of a needle yeah then it's, it's, it's yeah. that to enter heaven uh, heaven if uh, if if he's pursuing wealth so so that for example is something a lot of my bro- I, I didn't grow up in a christian household i didn't know this this but it came up so much in my um mm. clients uh sessions because of how much these sort of whether it's directly or implied teachings had in giving them guilt around wanting wealth or pursuing yeah. wealth so, so that's where controversial approaches happen. And another one is, this is really big, but I uh, read this amazing book. This is one of the books that actually made me cry called Post-Traumatic Slave Syndrome. <gasps> beautiful, beautiful book. Even though uh, it's talking about the North American uh, the trans- experience yeah. around like Blacks in in. Uh, America specifically. However, even though I'm Middle Eastern, I could relate a lot to this book. I could relate a lot to the struggles of mm. some of the things that came up. But some of that in- insinuates how sometimes struggle bonds people and you become a community. Oh, God, yeah. And when somebody uh, paves a different path, it's almost seen as a betrayal. Mm. Like you are now leaving your community behind. Oh, my God, yeah. Right? And and that is very hard for both the community and the person and the person leaving it. Like now you think you're better than us? Oh, my God. Um, right? So it's so difficult for somebody who is pursuing the path of success and wealth to be riddled with that guilt and that shame and, and that feeling as if, Am I doing the right thing by yeah. pursuing these things, right? And that's a, a, a very sensitive topic. That so. is a big thing. I see this online all the time. I didn't realize that that was kind of tied into post-traumatic um, slave syndrome. But that is major. You know, if a, if like a black person gets rich, then yes. all of a sudden they've sold out. You're a sellout now. Or, you know, you forgot where you came from. Or why don't you ever come back to the hood and give back to your community? And it's like almost a sense of entitlement. Like you owe us. Uh, yes. yes. It's <laughs> you should be helping us. Eastern culture, by the way. Really? Very, very similar. For sure. This is why mm. I resonated a lot with this book. Um, and I'm sure it shows up in many other different cultures. And it's different reasons to why. Like we struggled in, in I'm from Lebanon. We struggled a lot with war, with, yeah. uh, with seeing rich people um, being uh, warlords or being... Um, betrayed betraying their own country or actually betraying their own people oh, wow, or being yeah. politicians so sometimes you just develop this uh, hatred and resentment to wealth because you associate it with all these things with evil people exactly that yeah. you grew up witnessing as a kid um so there's so much that this conversation brings up like this topic of financial therapy is so vast and that is actually very a very good point because there was a time and I guess even now to this extent where certain types of wealth does come from exploiting people 100%. or just wicked things, doing 100%. evil things. And that's how some a lot of people do get rich. And so sometimes when you see a rich person, you just you lump them in with all of the 
people who gain their wealth doing unethical things. A million percent, which is sometimes part of the exercises I give my clients, um, especially those who are struggling with with wealth. Um, some of them, let's say, are entrepreneurs who want to create wealth and are you know, hitting a barrier, uh, is to actually go and make a list of people they admire that are wealthy. Mm-hmm. Because you want to start re creating new patterns and rewiring your brain and how you look at some of these ideas. And a big part of it is starting to associate wealth with something that is aligned with who you are as a human being. And another myth that we grew up hearing a lot in different cultures, it shows up in different languages, is that money changes people. Yeah. It changes people. And the truth is money makes you more of who you are. Mm. So if you're already a generous person and a a charitable person and a good loving soul money is going to now give you the ability to make and and, and enlarge your impact yeah but if you are secretly a selfish person materialistic who's just self-absorbed in your own world money is just gonna make you more of that Mm. and you're gonna be more self-absorbed and more egotistical and all these things are gonna be that much more obvious to people around you yeah and even with motherhood Mm -hmm. i find like the type of mum you are with little resources Mm -hmm. or just like not much that's just who you are and with more money you're just going to be more of that so like you know you see mums who don't have a lot but they always make sure their child's taken care of they've got what they need they're resourceful you're very much resourceful actually Mm. one of my favorite things to do with clients is something i call your resource map and that's helping clients literally map out all the resources they have in their life because wow we are wired to look into what's in our bank account and 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 feel um you know the emotions we experience are correlated with the number we see in that account versus taking a step back and literally becoming aware of all the resources we have such as your social network which is huge mm. right now if you're in trouble and you don't have money i'm sure you have some people on your on your Wow. speed dial that you can literally call and and they will bail you out yes. in, in, a, in a heartbeat and building that social network is huge like that's one of your biggest assets your health that's probably number one because you won't be able to function without your health this is good um and your your education your skills your talents like there's so much so much and all these things could be exchanged at any time to for money so why is money now um, conditioned to be one of these things that we obsess about and forget all the other things, including the stuff I mentioned, wow. but time is another one that can be exchanged for money. Mm, that has unlocked my brain. That is such a good point. I don't know. Yeah. It's true. We kind of focus on money and mm-hmm. how much children cost you know, money-wise, forgetting all the other yeah. resources. I'll give you a very simple way that this plays out. Like, there are so many ways. But recently, I mean, I gave birth to a beautiful boy, um, October 2022. And because of my social network, I actually got a lot of hand-me-down clothes for him. This is it. I didn't need to buy a lot of clothes for him. And and literally, I have boxes of clothes. This is worth hundreds of dollars. Mm. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars. Uh, because I got close up to the age of one year. <laughs> wow. And I'm this sure is it. I'm going to continue getting because <laughs> yeah. their kids are going, right? And and this is like a very small example of how your social asset uh, is actually a main resource for you. 
like not to mention the social support and the emotional support and the mental support you get from your community and all these different things. But I personally believe in the power of community and that's a huge part of how I want to live my life. Mm. Like relationships are one of my biggest value. Me too. And I love that because I'm the same. Like I will accept any hand-me-downs from my sister, whatever she, she doesn't need for her kids anymore. I will take it from my cousins, whatever yeah. cribs, yeah, strollers, everything. Yeah. But and, and that's not because I don't have the money to buy it new. It's yeah. just because why would I do that when that's true. That's true. <laughs> I've already got access to it. You, what you said is so important to highlight because it's the intentionality that fuels the mm. behavior that matters. So for example, you can go and buy an item secondhand and be riddled with these feelings of deprivation, mm. of scarcity, of I cannot afford it. And that changes the the experience. Yeah. Versus Doing it with the mindful, intentional, conscientious method of I am mindful of how I spend my money. This is more environmentally conscious. This is better because now I get the savings I have as a result will go towards creating a new experience for my family. Maybe taking them on an, on a vacation this year or whatever. Uh, because a lot of the stuff I bought for my son are actually second hand. They, they, they look brand new. I made sure I, I did my research and homework on the different brands and the different things I wanted to buy. But I saved a whole bunch of money that now I can take my son on a vacation. Exactly. And for me, <laughs> it's doing it without intentionality. I'm not doing it because I feel broke or because I um, deprive myself or my son on, of the things he needs. But I'm doing it because conscious consumerism is a value that's important for me. This is it. Some parents feel that they have to spend so much money on their kids or it has to be designer or it has to be new or they just kind of feel less, they feel less than if they buy something secondhand or if it's mm -hmm. not designer or if mm -hmm. they just buy it from, you know, um, mm -hmm. a, a cheap store rather than like a designer item for a baby. Mm -hmm. What is that? So all these um, questions, it's never black and white. It's not like, if you're doing this, then that's what's happening with you. Because every one of us have a very different circumstances and how we grew up and the different beliefs and the different traumas we've experienced and the different behaviors that we engage with. But I'll give you some examples to why this could be. Uh, so part partly, some of it uh, can be driven by guilt because these parents sometimes may not be as available or as present in their kid's life. And sometimes mm. they use money as a tool to... Um, to, like to pat the guilt and, and shove the guilt down because um, they feel, you know, obviously um, not the best, not being as present as they want to be in yeah. their kids' life. Other parents have... I feel like uh, that's a lot of fathers. A lot of it. I mean, it could be either gender. Mm. Um, another part of it could be super, like the inferiority or superiority complex. And that's when you feel that money is equal to your self-worth mm. um, and therefore showing brands and, and living, uh, spending money a certain way is equivalent to my self-worth as a human being. Yes. Um, so sometimes there's a lot of that that's connected with why we do what we do. Others, it's the superiority comp uh, complex in which you see money as a way to compare yourself to others around you mm. and feel similar to what I said earlier, the lack of self-esteem and how you show up because it's connected with your security and feeling insecure sometimes 
the bigger insecure you feel, the more you want to mask that with bigger items that shine better. And this is it. Uh, so there's so many different ways how this shows up in our lives um, and why we engage with certain behaviors that make no sense on the surface. <laughs> yeah. But but it's really important. I want to re- I want to make a really important point here because this is not to put down people who no. do enjoy luxurious items or fancy clothes or brand names, whatever. Um, but this is about living your life in alignment with your values. So it looks like you and I are aligned in the way that we don't really care about these materialistic things because we value experiences more. But that doesn't make you a bad human being if you do value materialistic word what i tell my clients is show me how you spend your money and i'll show you who you are mm. so what's important is that your money is expressing who you are as a person yeah when there's a when there's a clash in that when there's a clash in your cash flow and your value system that's when there's, there's an certain issue things that needs to be addressed so is any of this linked to luxurious minimalism Oh, you saw that podcast, I've been researching. I've been on your I've been on your page researching. Oh my yeah. goodness. So I uh, love the idea of luxurious minimalism because um it, it it became almost like a roadmap on helping me making decisions on what to buy and what not to buy. So for me, it, it is important to have luxurious items in certain areas in yeah. your life. For me, I justify it by saying, how long is this item going to be used for? Yes. And that helps me assess, does it need to be luxurious and, and high quality? Or is it is it okay to, to not? So that's why I can't justify buying baby clothes because sometimes you never wear them at all. Yeah. And sometimes you wear them once. So it's hard for me to justify the need for luxurious items there. But when it comes to, let's say, furniture at home or certain things that you need for the long run, like a stroller, for example... Mm. It's important for me to, to this spend is it. money and, and get quality items, right? So that's the concept of luxurious minimalism, essentially, is helping me um, bring the best of both worlds together, Together, right? This is to make more conscious decisions on what are the items that are worth being luxurious in my life. And, and it's going to be different for different people. Um, so for somebody who loves the kitchen, they want to spend money on, yeah. on, on the quality uh, cookware and all the stuff they, they put in the kitchen versus somebody who, let's say, uh, really enjoys reading and, and wants to spend uh, high quality items in creating a beautiful office for themselves. So it's different. It's different. Yeah, because I will spend a lot of money on technology. Yes. yes. My computers, my cameras, yes. things like that. I will spend money on that. I will spend... A yeah. lot of money on things like that, but then, yeah, babe, and even clothes for myself, yes. I'll spend money on. Yeah, but if just it's yeah, make you feel empowered and and bring the best out of you. Why not? Yeah. The bottom line is, we want to take the shame out of how we're spending money. Yes, and replace that shame with intentionality. Okay, that brings like that makes a big difference and um, helps us. Uh... Hi. Hi, sweetie pie. <laughs> and helps us in in creating that harmonious flow. So luxurious minimalism. I love that you made your homework. I did my homework. <laughs> I forgot about that term. It's it's what I personally thought about when we moved in a new house, me and my partner, and we wanted to furnish it mindfully because we both hate clutter. Mm. And we said we're gonna be intentional in spending money on luxurious minimalism. Yeah. I felt a shift when I became a mom because I had such a lot of insecurity becoming an entrepreneur and 
dreaming big and not knowing how to navigate this new role of entrepreneurship. Uh, but I felt when I became a mom that I have that much more drive to figure it out. Yes. Like I still have my insecurities and fears and all these things are still there, but I feel like my drive is that much more bigger to like combat the emotions that are keeping me, you know, yeah. playing it small. It's harder to like, you don't, you can't rationalize giving up. Exactly. Well, for me personally, like when I became a mom, it was like, get quick. We can't quit. I have to work this out. I have to figure this out. I have to make this work. There is just no other option for me. (laughs) That's how I felt when I, when I became a mom. It it was, the motivation was just stronger. Yeah. The motivation is stronger, but here's another thing that I'm also recognizing and reflecting on that my hustle, uh, what I traditionally perceived to be a hustle is something I'm also rejecting. I don't want to wake up five in the morning and work 12 hour days and you know skip skip meals and all these different things you hear sometimes with when there's people trying to tell you about their success journey Mm. i'm also rejecting and questioning that it doesn't have to be this hard it doesn't have to be this much it doesn't struggle and that's another actually uh major belief block that people have that money is hard and you have to struggle to get it and there's a lot of sacrifice for it so sometimes subconsciously people dream small because they don't want to give up Mm. certain things in their life that matter to them their family their health whatever so personally i'm working on aligning myself spiritually and aligning myself and my life in such a way where i invite wealth in yes hard work is still important and part of that process but i'm also working in creating a harmonious balance that works for me and sometimes that includes not working today at all yeah sometimes that includes a three-hour lunch break um and sometimes it is that 12-hour day but it's not necessarily not necessary how i perceive well, not, not how I want to build my life. Yeah, no, I completely stopped hard work. I can't do hard work anymore. I, I have to work smart. smart. Work. Yeah, yeah, I have to work smart. and I Hard work. Yeah, <laughs> and I have to be intentional about what I give my yeah. time to, how I spend my time. All of that hustle stuff that I was doing before, I feel like may have been attached probably to insecurity or, or something because that wasn't true ambition. I didn't feel like that was true ambition. I don't know who I was trying to be or what mm, I was trying to achieve yeah. or like what I was trying to achieve all of that for. Yeah. When I had my child, a sense of purpose was, my sense of purpose changed. Yeah. The reason why I'm doing it is different. And it means Ooh. it means something else to me now. And also, um, I used to look at certain accolades and certain career uh, milestones as success. And now I'm realizing that motherhood is big business. <laughs> motherhood is big business. And like, this is where it's at for me. Mm-hmm. A big part of financial therapy is self-love mm-hmm. and self-care. Huge part of that. I wouldn't have connected it. Yes. Huge part. A lot of the healing process happens in that zone. Mm-hmm. Merging mindfulness practices, self-care practices, self-love practices. And learning how to love ourselves again. Yeah. Because when you do that, you, you, you first of all, close the void that sometimes you use money to fill. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, uh, and also that success, hustle, uh, accomplishment, uh, you know, all these different things that you also pursued is also as a, as a result of that void. Yeah. So part of our healing uh, and, and bringing the wholeness of who we are back again 
uh, is also healing our relationship with money mm. and has the ripple effect on all the other areas in our life. So self-love is that nucleus. Yes. And I, just as we wrap up, I did actually, I experienced that firsthand, you know, after I had my daughter because my body changed mm. and I gained, I gained a lot of weight and I just didn't look the same and I just didn't know how to dress anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I well, like I wasn't that. used to my, my body. I'm feeling that. Right? When you have a child and I feel like part of, I mean, it took a while for me to get to love myself again and to be comfortable with my body again and to build up that self-love. But one way I I think I kind of, one thing I did during that period of time was I used to buy a lot of clothes. And I think that spending was me just trying to, I don't know, figure out my style again, figure out like how to make myself feel good about myself again, how to look nice again because I didn't feel pretty so I would just buy a lot of clothes and that that spending part of it was functional because I did have to figure out how to dress but a part of it was also emotional Mm -hmm. because I was maybe trying to find that self-love in the clothing rather than just looking at myself in the mirror and just saying like this is your body girl Mm -hmm. (laughs) this is it like I think maybe I was trying to resolve that dissatisfaction with my new body by just dressing it up with nice clothes. So I think I I definitely experienced that. And I stopped buying quite as much clothes once I got used to myself. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just figured out that this is how I look. This is what flatters me. This is what doesn't flatter me. And I don't, I didn't feel the need to overindulge in spending on clothes anymore. I still shop though, but just not as much as, (laughs) not as much as I did after I had her. Yes. Yeah. Uh, That's a beautiful uh, story that you shared because it's so relatable. I mean, what woman goes through pregnancy and childbirth and doesn't resonate Mm -hmm. with that? Like body change is huge part of this process. And you're right. Money sometimes is used as a vehicle to mask some of the emotions that are uncomfortable that we experience. Uh, be it the way we feel about our body or the way we feel about our relationship because mm. sometimes you're also unhappy with your relationship and you go spend to find some sort of happiness yeah or, or whatever like there's a whole bunch of emotions we try to mask and money is our go-to sometimes. yeah that's really good. Thank you so much for sharing with us Thank today. You. I learned a lot and I, I hope that this message really does um, help to shift mindsets at home. Um, so Asil Albaba, everyone, tell everybody where we can find you and if there's anything that people yeah, can tap I mean, into. Um, my personal page right now on Instagram is STL Baba, but I don't also have my business page. It's just on hold as I navigate maternity leave. Yeah. But you can follow Holistic Optimal Wealth and my website, Holistic Optimal Optimalwealth.com. Uh, yeah, these are perfect. Very- and also, if you enjoyed this episode, which I'm sure you did, um, there are a whole bunch of podcast episodes. Conscious money, what's it called? Oh, conscious economics. Conscious economics. Yeah, Look conscious that economics. podcast up too, because yeah. you can hear a lot of um Asil's work on there, talking about scarcity mindset, luxurious minimalism, all of these different Financial things. Financial avoidance, yeah, mentality, all these different layers of, of money there's just financial crisis too uh, navigating financial crisis i i was on a rabbit hole <laughs> looking at all your all your work uh, and listening to all your episodes so definitely check that out guys it's really